Open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. Get Ephesians and then get Titus. Ephesians and then Titus. Ephesians chapter 2 and Titus chapter 2. What we're looking at this morning is we're continuing our series on Christianity 101. And remember, the foundation for this series is that people say that all religions are fundamentally the same. And our response to that is, yes, they are fundamentally the same, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of the church, and basic Bible doctrine. Other than that, they all agree and they're fundamentally the same. Isn't it a silly statement to say that all religions are fundamentally the same? It's just completely silly. It's an uneducated position. But we have to remember, we live in a post-Christian culture. So our founders, when our nation was founded, not all of the founders were believers. But they all would have identified with, with Christian understanding. They would have thought in Christian categories. That is, they all believed that there was sin. They all believed that man was innately evil and had to be restrained. But they also believed that because man is evil, government will become evil. And so they wanted to limit government. Isn't that exactly right? That was their understanding. Now, it's completely flipped over. Man is good. Government is good. Any kind of restraints are evil. Isn't that interesting? And so because we live in this post-Christian culture, it's really important for us as believers to understand not only the deep things of God, but simple, foundational, doctrinal truth. And again, because we live in a post-Christian culture, and because we live in a theologically illiterate culture, people have no understanding of biblical doctrine. It's really important that we continually teach the truth over and over and over again here at Grace Baptist Church. So I've taken some time to just say, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to just basic truth and try to get a good biblical understanding. One of the major areas of misunderstanding is the concept of grace. What is grace? And I'll give you an example. I was at teen camp. This is 10 or 15 years ago. And we stopped going to the camp because the girls were dressed immodestly and even some of the counselors were dressed immodestly. And it's really hard for a young man to become spiritual when he's surrounded by things he shouldn't be seeing. Isn't that fair? And so when I was talking to the camp director, who's a friend of mine, a pastor, and I said, look at this. This counselor walked up while we were talking. Anyway inappropriately attired. And I said, look at this. And he said, Jim, you've got to have grace. And so somehow in our culture, grace, among Christianity, among conservative Christianity, grace means that you tolerate anything. Isn't that interesting? I was at, um, you know, I went to the first Bible college that I went to was very, very legalistic, hard. Um, and honestly, the people were pretty awful. And so I left. And I started going to a church. And it was a good church. It was a Bible church. The pastor helped me so much. But it was at the other end of Christianity, of, of, of conservative evangelicalism. We're within. We believe the Bible and all of those things. But uh, I, I was working. The, I was in college at that point, so I was a part of the college class in the, in the church. I was working. I didn't get to go on this activity. And they came back and they showed me pictures of the activity. And the, they were playing volleyball. And the girls are all in bikinis and the guys are out there. And 
And I'm just telling you, the pictures looked like something from the Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit issue. And this was my thought. I'm 21, maybe 22. I don't remember. I was young. I remember I looked at the pictures, and this is a thought that I had. There has to be something in between the rigid, awful legalism that I came from and this. Is that fair? Do you know what the answer is? The answer is let's be biblical. Let's just be biblical. Let's get a biblical understanding of what grace actually is. And when we read the Scriptures and we see what grace is, do you know what it's going to do? It's going to give us such freedom. It's going to give us such liberty. It's going to give us such hope. It's a wonderful thing. But what we have to be careful of is that we don't allow the world to define things for us. We don't allow other Christians to define things for us. We allow the Bible to define our behavior, our life, our doctrine. Amen? Amen. And we're going to see some things from that this morning. Why don't we pray and get started? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, this this idea of grace, it's the most important thing for us as believers. It, It is foundational, but it's vital. Lord, help us to understand it better today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Why don't we start with uh, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And what does it say? What are those next words? By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So everyone that's saved by grace is seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. Isn't that awesome? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Then look at what it says. Verse 7. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His what? Grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by grace. Isn't that wonderful? Grace is a free gift, and we're going to define that in a minute. But grace is the gift of God. Look at Romans. Uh, You've already got Titus. Whatever you want to do. Let's go to Romans (laughs) chapter 6, verse 23. The Bible says, or I'll let you get there, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Your wages are what you get for what you do, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Eternal life is a gift, and that's what grace is. Now, let's go to Titus chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 11, For the grace of God, and what does that grace do? That bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men. So this does a couple of things. Number one, grace brings salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. Isn't that right? So that, that establishes that, that salvation is by grace. And it's not of works, it's just by grace. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's Titus 3.5. And so we understand that from this passage, that salvation is by grace. But not only that, look at what it says, verse 11 again, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to some men. 
All men. All men. Have you ever heard someone ask this question, what about those who have never heard? You ever heard that question? Right? The grace of God has appeared to all men. That, that's one thing that, it, that this passage teaches us. The second thing that it teaches us is that the concept of, of Calvinism, the concept that God chose some people for heaven and some people for hell, and that the grace is only for those who He has chosen, that is completely destroyed by this verse. So the grace of God has appeared to who? All men. And we're going to deal with that again here in a minute. So look what the Bible says. For the grace of God that, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then it teaches us something. It teaches us that we can do whatever we want, live however we want, dress however we want. Teaching us that denying ungodliness, that's what the grace of God does. It's interesting, isn't it? This is the aspect of grace that is so clearly taught in Scripture that is foreign to so much of modern Christianity. Look at what it says. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Christ, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So we're learning some things about grace. Grace is a gift. Grace has appeared to all men. Grace brings salvation. And then grace also teaches us that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live righteously and soberly in this present evil world. That's what grace does. How many of you are thankful for grace this morning? We're not left rudderless. We know what we're supposed to do and how we are to live. It's wonderful that God gives us this information. And yet, so much of that is lost in Christianity. So what I want to do today is go to Romans chapter 5 with me. And we're going to be in Romans 5 for pretty much the rest of the message. And we're going to define some things this morning. All right? So we're going to look Christianity 101, the subject of grace. Let's look at some important definitions. Some important definitions. All right? You're going to feel like you're back in school. If you're going to understand something, you have to first define your terms. Isn't that right? That's what communication is. Accurate communication means that when I speak, when I'm done teaching, that you understand it the way that I understood it. That's communication. The problem that we have in Christianity is that people are defining terms differently, but then using those terms in the same conversation. So one person is saying another thing, and another person is hearing it in a completely different way because we haven't defined our terms. So let's define some of these terms that we're going to look at today. The first term is justification. Justification. What does that mean? Look at chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification. What is justification? Justification is God declaring a man righteous on the basis of the finished work of Christ. I'm not righteous because of me. I, when God looks at me and He sees righteousness, it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. And it's the legal declaration where God says, you are not guilty. That's what justification is. You are righteous based on not what you have done, not by your works, but through Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did for us. That's justification. All right. The second definition is redemption. 
Redemption is the purchase by God of the sinner. And what does he purchase? Spirit, soul, and body. The blood of Jesus Christ is the purchase price. The Bible says you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. They're Christ's. Amen? You're bought. You've been purchased. Now, that doesn't mean you become a slave. He's bought you and set you free. You were a slave to sin, but He bought you from sin, and the price that He paid was His own blood. That's what redemption is. Anybody here that's been redeemed? You've been redeemed. What a wonderful thing that is. Why is that important? That means you are no longer a slave to that past sin. You're not guilty of it anymore. You are free. Praise God for that. Then, propitiation. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He didn't only die for the elect, He died for everybody. That's what that passage says. Let's look at what propitiation means. Propitiation, it is appeasement or conciliation of the enmity between God and man through the offering of Jesus Christ. All right? Appeasement or conciliation of the enmity between God and man through the offering of Jesus Christ. So what is enmity? What is that? Another way to think of a a good definition of propitiation is this. God's satisfactory payment. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that payment satisfied the justice of God. His blood was the satisfactory payment. All right, what is enmity? Now, this is from Webster. It's the quality of being an enemy. So what the Bible says is that before we're saved, we are the enemies of God. It's interesting. I was at a website yesterday, and the tagline for it is, God's not mad at you. Well, if you're saved, He's not mad at you. The Bible says God's angry with the wicked every day. Angry, mad. How many of you think angry and mad are synonymous? Yeah. Yeah. So the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. I see these signs. God's not mad at you. That is a lie if you're lost. If you're saved, here's the good news. He's not mad at you. You've been redeemed from the wrath of God. All right? Enmity. It is the quality of being an enemy. It is the opposite of friendship. It is ill will, hatred, unfriendly dispositions, malevolence. That's the state of lost man and God. Anger, hatred, malevolence. How many of you know that the world hates God? My goodness, when you hear, and now I don't watch John Stewart, I just see clips of it, you know, when it's on the news or whatever. John Stewart hates our God, right? And they hate us who love our God. It's very interesting, isn't it? That's the world that we live in. They're at enmity, hatred, variance with God. Also, it expresses more than aversion and less than malice and differs from displeasure in denoting a fixed or rooted hatred whereas displeasure is more transient. You can be displeased with someone. God is more than displeased with us. He hates our sin. He absolutely hates it. And lost man hates God. How many of you know someone who knows the truth but refuses it? Why? Because they don't want God to tell them what to do. They hate God's rules. They hate God's law. They hate God's ownership of His creation. They hate it. They reject it. That is rebellion. And that's why the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And that's why it's important that you parents don't allow your children to rebel. That's dealt with when they're young. Amen? Right? Remember I said one time that we ought to buy all of our kids here at the church Ouija boards for Christmas. 
Right? You guys are teaching them rebellion. We might as well teach them witchcraft. How does a parent teach their child rebellion? By not requiring obedience. You are permitting and thereby endorsing rebellion. How many of you have ever heard that people expect teenagers to rebel? How many of you have ever heard that? And that might not be said out loud, but the, but the average thing is, well, you know, when they're 13, they're going to, when they're 15, you know, they're going to rebel. Have you ever heard that? They're going to rebel. And now help me out. How many of you have heard that before? Not in my house, they're not going to. Amen? Amen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They might rebel down the road. He might still become an axe murderer. As a matter of fact, I'm predicting that. But I'm just telling you, it's not going to... He's there, yeah, yeah, probably. It's not going to happen while he's at my house. Right? It's, it's wonderful that we have that. See, what we have here is God. God hates our sin and man hates God. That's enmity. So when the Bible says that we are at enmity with him, that is that we're at war. With God, that's what the world is before they get saved. It's important that we understand that. Then reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It is the uniting of two parties formerly at war. Isn't that good? I used to be at war with God and then He saved me. And now I've been reconciled to Him. I've got a statement on that I'm going to read to you here in a few minutes. Then reciprocal indwelling. Reciprocal indwelling. We looked at this a minute ago and now I'm going to explain it to you. Reciprocal indwelling is the believer being placed in Christ and Christ coming to reside in the believer. Not only are we in Christ, but He is in us. Isn't that wonderful? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says in the book of Romans, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How many of you have ever heard that somebody gets saved and they get the Holy Spirit later? How many of you have ever heard that being taught? That is completely unbiblical. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, or 12, 12, 13, it says, For we have all been baptized by one Spirit into one body. The Holy Spirit baptizes every saved person into Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God does that. And at the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell in you. That is reciprocal indwelling. I am in Christ and He is in me. We saw a minute ago that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Isn't that wonderful? And now we know also that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. That's reciprocal indwelling. Then what is salvation? It is God delivering man from the penalty of sin at conversion. Does anybody here, you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure that you're saved? Well, then when you got saved, you've been delivered from the penalty of your sin. Listen, you cannot go to hell. Jesus Christ paid your penalty. That's what happens at conversion. It's God delivering man from the penalty of sin. That happens at conversion. And then from the power of sin, that's daily. Uh, I asked this question last week. What sin do you have to commit? As a believer, what sin do you have to commit? None. Now, the Bible says that we will sin. If any man says he hath no sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's First John. So we understand that we are going to sin, but what sin do you have to commit? None. So you are delivered daily from sin. You need to rely on that. You don't have to sin. Isn't that wonderful? That's what salvation is. It's, it's God delivering man from the penalty of sin at conversion, from the power of sin, that happens daily, and then from the very presence of sin, that's at His coming. You know, if, when we die, that's one form of deliverance, right? But then I hope, wouldn't it be great if Jesus Christ came today? That is, you know, you young people, you remember this. I, I always used to say, Lord, don't come back. I want to get married. Now I'm married and I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> 
(laughs) I just love the idea that one day we're going to be removed from the very presence of sin. No more sin. How wonderful will it be to worship Christ completely in the beauty of His holiness with no sin present? What a wonderful thing that is. That's what salvation is. That's salvation. Then, Romans 5. Let's look at some things. The reality of grace. The reality of grace. Let's define grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor and blessing. So when we receive a gift from God, it is completely undeserved. It is a completely undeserved gift. You know, I feel that way. You know, we had our 20th anniversary this year here as, you know, as pastor of the church and and Matt Hickman made me this bow. And I, he probably doesn't believe me, but every time I see him, I think about that bow. I love this thing. It is awesome. I just wish I could shoot it better. But it is a, I love it. I didn't do anything to deserve a gift like that. Other things that you all have done for me, I don't deserve anything like that. And I can promise you this, the gift of salvation is certainly undeserved. And that's what we have to understand. Here's the question. What about those who have never heard? I mentioned that earlier. And there are people that think that God is evil because people that... that, So the, the person who believes this, they think that God is evil because people have never heard the gospel. The problem is that people believe that those people deserve to hear the truth. None of us deserve the grace of, the, of God. We all deserve to go to hell. You all recognize that? It is God's unmerited favor, and yet God has revealed Himself to them. From heaven, He's revealed to them in conscience, and then He has given them the light of Jesus Christ. No one is unaccountable before God. All right, so there's three key words in the book of Romans that help us to understand what happens at salvation. All right, what happens through this grace. In the book of Romans, three key words. The first word is all. Okay, what does all mean? So you thought you were going to hear speaking in tongues here today. Come on, let's, let's say it. What does it mean? All. Okay, so if you're not from here and you couldn't understand that, all means all, and that's all that all means. Amen? So when the Bible says all have sinned, what does that mean? So that means the person with your socks on. Okay, that is you, me, we are all sinners. The Bible says that we're all sinners, but Jesus Christ died for all. Isn't that wonderful? And because of that, that means all men can be saved. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that propitiation, that rendered all men savable. From the time that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, every person in the world has been rendered savable. Praise the Lord for that. All right, so all. Then we... Does anyone know what that means? We? Okay, it's not a computer game. This is spelled different. Okay. Then justified. Those are the three key words in the book of Romans. Let's look at all. The Bible says that we're all under sin in chapter 3. All have sinned. God delivered up, uh, God son, God's son delivered up for us all in Romans 8. Why did he do that? So he could freely give us all things. The same Lord is over all. He is rich unto all that call upon Him. Now the God of peace be with you all. Alright? So the word all, it's all, we're all under sin. We've all sinned. God's Son has delivered up for us all. So that He can freely give us, I think I repeated that. Alright. The same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon Him. Now the God of peace be with you all. Alright? So you got to 
repetition's the key to learning. So you, you guys got a little bit of that twice. Um, so we, we, what about us? So what about our past? All of us in the past, the Bible says we were yet without strength. We were yet sinners. We were enemies of God. Can we look at that? Look at chapter 5 and verse 10. I want you to see that. I wanted to look up all of these, but I think we'd run out of time. But look at verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So do you see how all of those truths are coming together? Enmity, reconciliation, salvation. All of those concepts are in Romans chapter 5. What a wonderful thing this is. So we were enemies, but in the present, we who have been saved, we have peace. We have peace. Now, this isn't talking about the peace that you feel. All right. Now, how many of you know that God has promised to give us peace of mind and peace of heart? That's not what this is talking about. This is peace from the war that we were at with God. It's awesome. We have peace. We also have access by faith. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. Let's look at verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also, that's Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. God is going to glorify us. That's what the Bible says. So we have access by faith and we stand in this grace. We. And then we also glory in tribulations. Do you see that in verse 3? And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, I've got to say, I'm terrible at that. How many of you are, are with me? Any of you glory in tribulation? Oh, my goodness. I am such a grumbler and crybaby sometimes. But we're supposed to glory in tribulations. You know what the problem is? I don't really have any tribulations. I just have inconvenience. Isn't that amazing? It's so interesting to think about it. All right? So, we glory in tribulations. We also joy in God. That's in our present. Look at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, by whom we have now received the atonement. What is the atonement? It's the same as propitiation. It is the satisfactory payment of Jesus Christ. where He paid for our sin with His blood. What a wonderful thing. We joy in God. We have received the atonement. What about we in the future? We shall be saved from wrath. Look at verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by His blood. Do you see why we needed to define these words? Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Now, everybody, wake up for a minute. Okay? Is anybody here that's saved? Are you saved? That means that in the future, you will never be under the wrath of God. You're not nearly excited enough about that. Let me say this. How many of you are saved? You know that you're saved. All right. In the future, you will never experience the wrath of God. Amen. See, we deserve that. We deserve God's wrath, but He has saved us from that by His blood. That's what grace is. That's the gift that He's given us. What an amazing concept that is. You know, there are people that they just live under the weight of their sin. And I don't know about you guys, but I look at my past sometimes and I say, Oh God, and I'm so embarrassed by what I thought or what I've looked at or what I've said or what I've done. 
And it's almost debilitating. And yet I remember I'm free from that. He's forgiven me from the sin of my past, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I have to intentionally forget the sins of my past. Why do I have to intentionally do it? God has already done it. But Satan wants to bring those things up and he is a liar. He's a liar. Praise the Lord. We shall be saved from wrath. Then, justified. Justified. What is it? Justified freely by His grace. Let's look at that. Chapter 3, verse 24. I want you to see something. It's very interesting. Chapter 3, look at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't it good that we've seen what that is? What is redemption? He bought us. He bought us with His blood. We're justified, declared righteous by Jesus Christ because of His blood. Being justified freely by His grace. I'm going to take the time to do this right now. Chapter 5, look with me at verse 15. I want you to mark this in your Bible, okay? But not as the offense, so also is the, what does it say? Free gift. Free gift. All right, verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So this free gift of righteousness that we get from Him. How do I know that? Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. That's Adam. Look at verse 12. Wherefore... As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon... What's that word right there? All men, for that what? All have sinned. All right, verse 17 again. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, what does it say? The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now you say, well, that free gift there is in italics, but it's required. It had to be put in there, but because that is the context. That is, if that italics wasn't there, the clause has no subject and no verb. And so in the context of the passage, it is talking about the free gift. So it's really important that we get this, is that we are justified freely. It is a free gift. You cannot work for it. It is received freely. What does free mean? Remember what we always say? Come up here, Isaac. <laughs> You've been sitting too long, right? Dr. Edwards, one time his, his sister was here. And she came out and she said, she's, um, she's has a limited capacity, you know, as she was walking out. She said, you pray too long. I can't feel my legs. <laughs> That's what happened to Isaac right there. Okay. I want to give you this free gift. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Just take it. Now, in order to keep that, you've got to wash my car every year, every week for the next five years. Why'd you give it back? I don't want to wash your car. He doesn't want to wash my car. It wasn't free, was it? See, that's the way that people view salvation. 
You receive it, but then you have to work to keep it. It's not free. Thank you, Isaac. Don't hurt yourself. It is is really important. It's really important that we get this. So many people believe, yes, you believe God for salvation, but you have to behave and do in order to maintain it. It is not free then, is it? How many of you understand that concept? Seriously, how many of you understand? If you're working for it, it's not free. Right? Justified freely by His grace. Oh, there it is. Then, we're justified by faith. What is faith? It's simply believing. But it's believing in something that has an object. You see, faith requires you to act on it. All right? So I can say, I believe that that chair will hold me up. I believe that it will. But faith isn't active until I sit in it. Hey, how you doing? How's your mom and them? Good, good. Now, it's really important that we get this, that faith has to have an object, I believe. In what? You believe in the person and work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is God and the Son of God. Your faith has to have an object, all right? Justified by faith. And then we're justified not by works. Look at chapter 4 and verse 2. Let's look at verse 1 for the context. What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, so that would be for the Jews, hath found. What did, what did Abraham find? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So what is faith? It's believing God. It's believing God, not by works. And then we're justified by his blood. We looked at that verse already, but let's look at it again. Verse Chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What a wonderful thought this is. So let's finish this up. We read Romans 5.12, but let's let's just review it. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now you said, Pastor, our Christianity 101 today is about grace. But you've been talking about justification, you've been talking about atonement, redemption, enmity. Let's look at this passage, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, that's Adam, So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That's Jesus Christ. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I'm so thankful that when sin abounded in my life, that God's free gift, that grace, abounded much more than my sin. Isn't that wonderful? I love it that the grace of God is so much greater than my sin. Look at this, verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness, or I'm sorry, through righteousness unto, what does it say, those next two words? Eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. Praise the Lord. 
I want to read this to you. Follow along with me if you can. But the moment you trust Christ, you are declared to be righteous before God. God not only gives you His righteousness, but He makes a legal declaration that you are righteous and your sins have been completely paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Before you were saved, you were at war with God. The fact that God, through the Holy Spirit, makes peace overtures to the lost does not change their status. That state of war between you and God remains until you are reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. When you trust Christ as Savior, you are absolved of your war crimes against God because someone has already died in your place. The peace treaty between you and God was signed by God in His own blood and ratified by your faith. That's what grace is. Are you thankful for God's grace this morning? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You might be here today and you've come from a church that teaches that you can lose your salvation. I think we've clearly shown from the Bible that you can't lose your salvation. Is that the clear teaching of Scripture? So if, that's your, if that is what, the way that you have been trained, understand that here at Grace Baptist Church, we're not bound to anyone's theology. We are bound to the clear teaching of the Word of God. Alright, so we just look at the Bible. God said it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not. But here at Grace, we're going to try and believe it. We're going to try and abide by it. So you might come from a place that where you think you might be able to lose your salvation. Let me encourage you. You're a lot worse than you think you are. If, if I heard a preacher say one time, if, if my salvation was based on how I feel, I wouldn't be saved until I had my first cup of coffee in the morning. Isn't that true? I'm so glad that my salvation doesn't depend on me. The Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. I'm glad I'm persuaded that I don't have to keep it. He keeps it for me. What is that? That is the free gift of grace. Remember, if you believe you can lose your salvation, that is the same thing as believing that you can receive a gift and still work for it. Amen? So, grace. Grace, it gives us eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you need to be saved. You must be born again. Let me be very clear. If you believe that you being baptized as a baby is going to take you to heaven, you're going to go straight to hell. Because you are not baptized by faith. Baptism has never saved anyone. You get baptized after you get saved. You believe and then you're baptized. Faith is what saves you. Water baptism. A person does not ever have to be baptized to go to heaven. It's wonderful to believe that. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. Was the thief on the cross baptized? Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. That's a wonderful promise. So, if you're believing that your baptism will take you to heaven, you must understand you're going to hell because you're believing in the wrong thing. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. If you believe that your church membership will take you to heaven. My friend Dalton, we were preaching in Texas together, and he said there are more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Being a Baptist never saved anybody. Amen? I'm not asking you to become a Baptist today. I'm asking you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Your church membership will not take you to heaven. And we have already established from the Scriptures, your good works certainly won't take you to heaven. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. 
Amen? That's the only way you can be saved is by grace through faith. I hope that you'll be saved today. Is there anyone here and you'd say, you know what, I don't think that I'm saved. I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Would you raise your hand? Anybody here that would say that? I need to be saved. Don't be ashamed. You saw the rest of us. We all raised our hand and said we got saved. Anybody need to be saved today? You're not sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. Last thing. How many of you need to share this message with somebody else? Would you raise your hands? You need to share this with somebody else. Let's do that. Let's all stand together.